Hi, friend. My name is Amy Joy, and this is the Make for a Beautiful podcast. So I'm probably about 20 years late to the show, but I finally have been reading Jim Collins' Good to Great. And it's actually lovely. He takes, I think, 11 different companies that had been very unremarkable. And then at some point, they have an inflection point, and then they become amazing. And they sustain their amazingness for at least 15 years or more. And the then they compare them to other companies. So all of these ones had a counterpart. So the one that is striking my mind the most forcefully, you have Philip Morris. <laughs> so not a brand dedicated to righteousness, but still there was a different cigarette company um, at about the same time of, as Philip Morris's inflection point. And they had been roughly equal in the market where they had about the same size brand share. They had about the same profitability or whatever. And and then Philip Morris took off and the other cigarette company just kind of bumbled along and fell into obscurity. So I'm not saying that this, clearly they're not analyzing only lovely companies, but just companies that financially were very profitable. What did they do differently and what made them tick? One of the most interesting parts of this book was the Stockdale paradox. And so this was a story about a man who was in a Vietnamese prison camp, I think the Hanoi Hilton, for eight years. And he somehow got through it incredibly well, despite the horrible number of horrible things that happened to him. If I'm remembering correctly, he even at one point beat himself up in order to not allow the Vietnamese to make him part of their narrative around how well they're treating their prisoners of war. And so after the fact, people started to look at how did prisoners of war come through? So there were some that were completely traumatized and broken. There were some that sort of regained their normalcy. And then there were some like this Um, uh, I don't remember what level in the Navy he reached, but anyway, something high, Stockdale. And those ones came through much stronger than they had gone into the experience. And he said, I wouldn't trade this. This was transformative in my life. And so what was interesting is Jim Collins asked him, how did you get through? Like, who didn't get through as well? You clearly made it through really well, but how did other people not? And Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. It was the optimists. And (laughs) that seems really backwards, right? Like, wait, the people who were upbeat and hopeful were the ones who succumbed. And basically what Stockdale said is that in order to survive, you have to have two things crystal clear. The first is that you have to know that you are going to get out of this alive, that in the end, you're going to triumph. You cannot waver from that idea. You just have to, you have to know it every day in your, in your being. But along with that, you can't live in any kind of a delusional world. You have to be actually okay with facing the brutal facts and living in reality. And he said, the optimists, they would say, oh, well, we're going to get out by Christmas. Hooray. 
with no evidence of why that would happen, no <laughs> no explanation. It was just like, this is what's going to happen because I will it to be so. And that was awful because they would build up their hope, build up their hope, and then it would be crushed. And as I was looking at this and thinking about this concept, I realized, oh, this has been one of the things I've wrestled with in prayer for quite a long time at this point, is that sense of like, so often when we pray, it feels sort of like, well, this is what I'm really hoping for. But it's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is like this. I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. Like, of course, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. I hope that we will be resurrected at the second coming. Of course, that's going to happen. Of, I hope Jesus comes again. Of course, that's going to happen. But then there's the other kind of hope, like a child who's like, I really hope I get a pony for my birthday, even though they live in the suburbs and they don't have any fencing. Anyway, that would be a different type of hope. That's more like wishful thinking. And so how do we pray with hope, but hope that's grounded in reality, hope that has no doubt that the outcome in the end is going to be triumphant, and yet living in the reality that at the moment we aren't there yet. I don't necessarily have deep answers for that. I think for me, though, it was just helpful to recognize that that's actually going to be the the best way to pray. Of course, we know that in the end, we triumph, but that we don't have to kind of put on these false, like, glasses of wishful thinking in order to, like, will something into being. That's not actually what the Lord is asking for us. And, you know, I think about this. I'm going to go off on this for just a minute. There's a really beautiful book by Graham Cook called Crafted Prayer. It's very short. He talks about how to pray in alignment with what the Lord is giving. And he told a story at one point. He's a prophet out of, well, probably out of England at some point, but more California now. And uh, he said, I had a friend and the Lord told me really clearly he was sick. And I was to go to him and say, this sickness will end in death. And for a normal person starting out in the prophetic, you would never do that. You're not supposed to be speaking anything kind of deep around future telling or anything like that. But this was a really clear instruction for a mature prophet. So he went to the man and said it. And the man said, oh, okay, thank you. And then he was able to shift his attention away from trying to falsely proclaim life when that was not what was appointed to him. He was able to shift it to preparing for death with grace so that he was able to minister to the nurses. He was able to minister to his friends. He was able to prepare his own heart rather than in this place of like, no, no, this is what's going to happen because I really, really want it. Instead, it was like, okay, I still am with the Lord. He still is with me. It's not the outcome I was hoping for, but it's the outcome that the Lord has. And as such, it's beautiful. And so, Lord, I am asking for us that you would teach us to pray. Lord, that I, I appreciate this insight so much around not having to go to prayer from a sense of false hope, but also not having to go to prayer with any kind of depression. Lord, that we recognize that you do triumph in the end, 
that the overall arc of the universe is towards grace and life. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Lord, I pray that as we wrestle through what it looks like to live in the light of reality and then bring your light to bear, I'm asking, Lord, that you would give us the grace to be wise and to be clear and to be honest and to be living in biblical hope, the sure expectation of the good things to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.